All right. Uh, again, just say you're very welcome. It's great to see you. It's great to see the North Coast Collective coming down from the North Coast. So you. It's great to see you guys. You guys are so welcome. Uh, some of my uh, good friends uh, from Coleraine that I got to know over the last four or five years. Amazing guys. Get around them. Chat to them afterwards. Uh, John Lockley, would you stand for a moment? Well, actually, would you just come up here for a moment? Is that okay? Come on. I, I, wanna, I just want to... Come on up here. Come on up here. Come on up here. Come on up here. We just not need somebody dressed in black, and we look like a licorice all sort. You know, uh, so <laughs> this is the new. Tr- uh, we it was blue and black. Now it's pink and black. Isn't that right? That's right. We uh, we have a WhatsApp group. Uh, it's the fashion apparel group that we make sure we're staying in contact about what's happening. Um, Davy, we're disappointed. <laughs> Davy went for the double denim today. Very stylish. Where's Carolyn? Where's Carolyn at? There you are, you're, you're dressed perfectly normal, that's good, very good, okay, well guys we're jumping back into our series that we're in which is Manifesto, a proclamation of freedom and we've been journeying through the Ten Commandments and uh, it feels like we've been doing this for a long time and we have, I think we've been doing it since November um, uh, and it's been just sort of, uh, we've had different speakers come in and talk about different things as well, um, but one of the things I really want to do to this morning is as we're journeying through this and talking about this, um, this is actually going to be one that's going to be a bit more teachy because there's some biblical concepts that we really want to explore together. And uh, it's going to, a little bit of detail, we're going to jump around a little bit too. So we're going to need you to be plugged in, uh, need you to sort of, if you can, and if you're into it, take notes because you'll forget most of what I'm going to say. Um, and you'll probably leave with just a couple of thoughts, but it won't be until you return to your notes and you look at that stuff that you actually um, see uh, realize what we've been journeying through. And so uh, just to sort of reestablish the context, every week we've done this, reestablish the context of how and when the uh, commandments were given. And they were given on Mount Sinai to Moses by God himself. And it's just this amazing thing about two months after the Israelites were liberated out of Egypt by God, um, uh, he, they were slaves in Egypt, they were oppressed there, they were doing all the dirty work and God comes along and he releases them, frees them from captivity. Moses leads them out um, and then Moses then leads them into the desert and then they end up uh, in, the, in the Sinai wilderness and, they come on, and Moses goes up to Mount Sinai and then God speaks to them. Uh, and Moses is up there for about 40 days and 40 nights. You can read this in uh, Exodus probably 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, reading through there of that interaction at Mount Sinai, the beautiful thing. But one of the most amazing things um, that I always thought was incredible around the story of the Israelites in, in the wilderness from their freedom to when they eventually get to the promised land is that God's presence is with them the whole time. Like it's a beautiful thing, it's an amazing thing that the manifest presence of God, I'm not talking about the presence of God that we can't see, that we can't touch, we can't feel like it's, it's somewhere there, it's actually the manifest presence of God is with them on that entire journey, right? And so the, the cloud by day leads them through the desert and the fire by night leads them, right? And in and, and the Bible, uh, we see God sort of taking the form of different things and to give you a theological term for this, the word for this is a theophany, okay? This is a theophany when God takes uh, just uh, takes the sort of the form of like wind or fire or you know a cloud. Uh, actually, when you read uh, Exodus eighteen and nineteen, you see that God rested on the mountain like uh, thunder and lightning, and there was a trumpet blast that came from the mountain. And I just want you just for a moment, just imagine that you're in that place. Imagine that you are these people and that God is manifesting his presence to you. Wouldn't it be an incredible thing? 
like an absolutely amazing thing that you are actually physically seeing God take the form of fire, take the form of cloud, that he is leading you. It's a beautiful thing. Of course, other people that would have seen them would have brought fear right into them, right? Because they've seen this powerful God that liberated these people is with them. But what's really also amazing about this story is that all throughout this moment, Greg alluded to it earlier on as well, that the Israelites are there, they see God, they saw the liberation that he brought to them, they encountered him in all these amazing ways, yet they're so quick to turn away from him. They're so quick to get distracted. They're so quick to complain. Do you know, they, they were serial complainers. They complained so much. They complained about the food that God was giving them. They complained about the journey they were going on. They complained about Moses being up the mountain too long. They, and they were actually, in a couple of moments, they turned around and they said, oh, do you know what? It would be better for us to be back in Egypt than it would be for where we are right now. Even though they had God's presence with them. I mean, it's kind of crazy to even imagine that. I'd like to imagine if God manifested his presence like that here today, then a revival would break out, right? That if the fire of God actually came like a pillar of fire right in the middle of this church, that it would, be completely, it would consume us and we'd be completely blown away by his presence, by who he was, right? But actually we see, even though they had all this, um, they were quick to turn away. Their hearts were quick to drift. They were quick to complain and quick to turn their attention away from God. They had divine presence and they had divine providence and yet they had great distraction in their lives. So I remember, I just want to tell you a story about this, so hopefully it'll all line up. But I remember uh, shortly after Donna and I got married, we moved into Ivy Mead back in the day. Uh, Ivy Mead Muse. Anyone in Ivy Mead Muse? Who's loving Ivy Mead Muse? Yes. <laughs> it used to be called Cornerstone Close. That's, it was just like everybody in Cornerstone seemed to live there at one point. And um, I remember we moved there and we uh, bought our first flat screen TV. It was great, a 32-inch TV. Now, I know you're supposed to do this properly, but I went on to eBay and bought a second-hand one, right? Because uh, they were quite expensive back then. Uh, and uh, so bought a second-hand 32-inch, put it up on the wall. And, I, you know, I should have, uh, first of all, when the package arrived and it was all bashed up and wrapped around in parcel tape, I should have been worried then, right? But then I put it on the wall and it, it worked great for a couple of days. But on the third day, I think uh, the... Uh, the TV began to get this big, black, thick line down the middle of it. Who, do you remember that line, John? Do you remember that line, Paul? This is truth, right? This black line on the TV. And so for a while, I thought, right, instead of sending this back, I'm going to do what you do with any electrical appliance that doesn't work. You, you hit it. You know, you hit it a few slaps. And it worked for a while. You hit it. It started working, flickered. Um, but after a while, it just, that line just stayed there. And instead of us, well, you guess what we did? We kept it there. And instead of taking it down and getting it fixed, we watched TV with this black line down the middle. Now, at, at the start, it was really annoying because it was right in the middle. And if you're watching football or you're watching a film, like the, the, the most important thing was hidden behind this black line. But we persevered. We stuck with the black line to the point where our minds actually tricked us and we stopped seeing the black line. This is, a, this is actually a true story. We stuck with it, and the people who had been in our house at that time will confirm this, that we actually had that screen, and we kept it up for ages. And it wasn't until more people started coming and saying to us, like, what's with the black line? And we eventually said, listen, we'll, we'll, we'll take this down, and we'll get a proper TV at some point. And the point of this is, that our minds, when we get used to something so much, and we are used to carrying stuff, we're used to actually having stuff in front of us so much, we stop seeing it. 
There's things that we have in our lives and we actually settle for the things that are in our lives and our mind actually gets rewired and we stop actually seeing that stuff for what it is and we're blind to it. And the Israelites in this moment, they were blind to the fact that God was pulling them into freedom. All they could actually still see was slavery. And they wanted to go back to the place of slavery because they couldn't perceive freedom. They couldn't even step in and journey towards it. They were blinded by the stuff that was right in front of them. And as I was sort of preparing this, I really felt this morning that for a lot of us in the room, we've been carrying stuff in our lives that we've had to battle with, that we've had, that haven't been pleasant, that we haven't been comfortable with, but we've settled for it. And we've settled it for it so much that we've become blind to it and we just accept it to be a part of life. And I really felt this morning that God was saying, you don't have to accept that anymore. You don't have to settle for that stuff anymore because there's so much more that's available for you. I have the inheritance that is available for you and you need to journey towards that. Don't settle for what you're carrying anymore because I want to bring you breakthrough in that as well. I also feel like there's a couple of people in the room who feel like they're doing well to survive. You're like going, you know, I I love the idea of stepping into inheritance. I love the idea of there's more, but I'm just about surviving here. And I feel like God's saying, you're not alone. You're not alone in this. He's with you. And even though you feel sometimes that it's too hard, there's too much going on. God's saying, you are not alone. I'm with you. I'm with you. And there is more for you. He's not just going to help you to survive. He's going to actually help you to thrive. Just stick in there, stick in with what he's doing. So the Israelites, they didn't know how to handle freedom. They didn't know how to step towards it. It was too unfamiliar. And then God, he comes to them. And this is when he comes and he brings the 10 commandments. He comes uh, as Yahweh in the, in the start of Exodus chapter 20. He comes to them, he says, I'm Yahweh. I'm the God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. I'm the God who liberated you from slavery. And I give you my manifesto. I give you my commandments. I give you my, the, the terms of my kingship, so to speak. And he lays them out. And these things are always designed to do three things. Number one, they're designed to promote freedom in our lives. Number two, they're designed to prevent heartache. And number three, they're designed to protect access to the presence of God. They're all about drawing us nearer to Jesus. And so the father in this moment, he's establishing a new culture on the earth. For the first time, we're seeing a culture of heaven being established through a people. And so God's teaching them how to handle the freedom that he's calling them into. So that, this, this is what I want to aim at today, so that the culture of heaven will be established in the structures on earth. Right? That's what the commandments are all about. So that the culture of heaven will be established in the structures on earth. So today we're going to explore one of the commandments that is about keeping people focused and facing forward. A commandment that was designed to keep their uh, eyes from wandering and their hearts from wandering. Aren't you glad you came to church today? We're going to read Exodus 20 verse 14. You shall not commit adultery. You're glad now. Someone's laughing at this. Chris laughing at the back. That's great. So first of all, let's look at this and uh, let's look at the meaning of the word adultery and, and like figure out what it means first before we go on. So the word is the uh, Hebrew word naf. Turn to the person beside you and say naf, all right, naf. Uh, don't use it as a, you know, that's a naf quote, you know, don't say that. It's naf. 
And the, and the word is most commonly used in two contexts in scripture. Number one, it's used in a literal sense uh, when somebody engages in extramarital or sexual behaviors. So very literal adultery is used when somebody engages in extramarital or sexual behaviors. Uh, and number two, it's used in a figurative sense when God's people would engage in idolatrous worship. You especially find this language through the writings of the prophets, uh, the major and the minor prophets, that um, they talk about Israel. If you read Jeremiah, Jeremiah uses this sort of imagery and figuratively uh, figured quite a lot. In Jeremiah 3, verse 6 to 9, he talks about Israel uh, turning its back on God and, and talks in terms of adultery with that. So the question you might be asking then is why is it used? Why does this word have these two meanings and why is it being applied to these contexts? Well, Adultery is the act of breaking a covenantal relationship, okay? Adultery is the act of breaking a covenantal relationship. So in the Bible, uh, when you marry someone, you're making a covenant with them. And a covenant is a life contract. That's what a covenant very simply means, a sort of simple uh, explanation of that. A covenant is a life contract. Um, Those of you who are married, do you remember uh, your wedding day? Some of you have smiles and some of you are like, <laughs> I saw a shiver, right? It's like eyebrows up, well, I remember, or eyebrows down, I remember. <laughs> you know, it's like you, uh, you have uh, memories of that. And so I remember when Donna and I got married, uh, we got married in the Everglades. And I remember when Donna um, came around, opened the door, and Donna began walking up the aisle. She was over there at the back so she doesn't feel embarrassed. As she was walking up the aisle, I remember looking at her and being blown away by her beauty, right? Just the, you know, and, and you probably have that same memory of your bride walking up the aisle, I hope. And uh, as Donna walks up the aisle, totally blown away by how beautiful she was. And I had just such an excitement, but a mixture of nerves and excitement. And suddenly, as she's walking up, uh, my face began to twitch uncontrollably. Like, so it was, if you see some of the pictures, my face is kind of going a bit crazy. I couldn't control it. But I was just sort of overwhelmed by that moment, by the beauty and the magnitude and and how exciting that whole moment was. Um, But the most important part of that day wasn't, uh, wasn't the sort of the procession wasn't the uh, or the leaving of the room it wasn't all the stuff that was around the most important part of that day were the vows that we made to each other right it were the vows that we were giving and those vows were actually us uh, agreeing on a covenant together we were taking covenantal relationship and that's really what a marriage is about it's a life contract is stepping into covenantal relationship so In the Bible, you actually see covenant as a word being used a whole lot of times and God using it in terms of his relationship with his people. And so God uses marriage as a symbol of the relationship between God and his people too. Especially in the writings of the New Testament, you see Paul particularly using it, um, talking about uh, the church being uh, the bride and Jesus being the bridegroom, right? So we actually see a lot of that. Last week, we're moving quickly because there's so much to get through. Last week, we, um, we looked at how Moses' great ancestor, Abraham, um, God came to Abraham in Genesis 17 and verses uh, 7 to 8. If you get that on the screen, I'll take a wee drink. He says this, I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole, of, the whole land of Canaan, where you now reside as a foreigner, I will give as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you, and I will be 
their God. And so we're actually seeing here that God is giving Abraham the promise that Moses is stepping into now, right? God has made this covenant with Abraham. He says, I will be your God to you, but also to the descendants everlasting after you. So the contract wasn't just for one life, it was multi-generational. And you actually see that in scripture, that when God makes a covenant, it's just not for one generation, it's multi-generational, that he actually uh, pushes that through. And so we've already stated that the, like the commandments are this manifesto, like this blueprint uh, uh, from heaven to protect freedom, prevent heartache, preserve access to God. But there's actually another part of these commandments that we're studying today. They're the manifesto, but they're the terms of the covenant. These are the vows of the marriage, so to speak. These are the terms of the covenant that God is making to us. And I won't go through them all today, but if you go to Deuteronomy uh, chapter 28, you'll actually see what God says, that if you keep my covenant, these are the blessings that you will receive. And a couple of those are, I promise to be with you always. I promise to set you high above all the nations of the earth. You will be blessed in the city and blessed in the country. And there's some beautiful, beautiful promises from the Lord there. And all this to say that God takes covenants really seriously. And he holds covenantal relationships as holy and sacred. That is why the prophets use the word adultery when God's people turn their back on him and worship other gods and other idols because it's breaking covenantal relationship. And so we're also gonna look at this through Jesus's teaching. Uh, what's really great about this is that Jesus actually teaches about a lot of the commandments in his teachings. So if we turn to Matthew chapter 5 and verses 27 to 30. Maybe do that. Okay. Jesus said, You have heard that it was said, You shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. I mean, Jesus is pretty straight talking here, isn't he? Like the, we, we know that God is a God of love and he's a God of mercy and he's a God of grace, right? We know he's a God of compassion. But in this moment, Jesus is being really strong in his words. He's being very direct and very straight in his talking here. Um, and the reason he's being straight and he's talking hard is because he knows what the consequences of these things are. He actually understands it's not because he wants to restrict you and cause pain and narrow your life. It's actually because he understands the consequences of breaking this uh, the covenantal relationship. And he does it because he, he, he takes this commandment even further than the commandment that was given in Exodus 20, like he does with a lot of things. He goes, you've, you've heard, do not commit adultery. But I say, if you even look at somebody with lust in your heart, you're already there. We know that we, we talked about last week when we talked about uh, don't murder. I mean, it's been a nice light series in the last couple of weeks, right? <laughs> don't murder, don't commit adultery. But we know that we looked at it last week that when we remove somebody's worth, right? That we're removing the honor from them. We're, we're not treating them like uh, they're made in the image of God. We're treating them at less than human, right? And when we look at somebody lustfully, we're actually doing the same thing. We're removing their worth. We're removing their honor. We're not seeing them through the eyes of a loving father. Um, we're just seeing them and treating them as people who exist to meet our needs. 
to meet our desires. That's what we do when we look at somebody like that. When we do that, people who are made in the image of God are being lowered to the level of impurity in our hearts. That's what we're doing. We're lowering people to the level of impurity in our hearts. I heard a, a young adult pastor once say, don't judge people according to the level of impurity in your heart. And that's really powerful because that's what we tend to do. Um, so I want to tell you a story. I hope it doesn't scare you. It might scare you a little bit, but I hope not too much. Um, it's good because uh, it reminded me because Russell's here this morning. And uh, myself and Russell, we went uh, to uh, a church one time. Russell came with me and we were speaking in a church in, uh, in Mid-Ulster. And it was great. We, we uh, were speaking there. We were praying with people afterwards and there was a big response. And uh, we're given some prophetic words and we're praying for healing and different things were happening. And then in the middle of all this, um, uh, something like God began speaking to me in a way that I had never encountered him speaking to me before, in a way that was um, unfamiliar, but I knew it was from the Lord. And I didn't know sort of how to communicate it with people. So I just said, is anybody in the room uh, experiencing the same thing that I'm experiencing right now? And a woman stood up and she put up her hand. I said, I don't know what this means, but um, I, I just want to pray for you. And so I just prayed for her. This was from the front, right in front of everybody. This is from the front. So we just prayed for her. And then we continued praying for other people. And then uh, we got in the car and we drove back to Coleraine. But in the, in the car on the way back, I texted a friend of ours, uh, James. And James has this book, which is the, the biblical dex- dictionary of uh, prophetic imagery. Some big old book, uh, cool thing. And so he, he, uh, I texted him. I told him this is what was going on. And he sent me a scripture back about what that was and my heart sank as soon as I saw the scripture because the scripture was about committing adultery I was like oh no it's like Lord I love it when you give prophetic words but I don't want those types of words right I don't have because I don't have to deal with that type of stuff right that's not the glamorous stuff right that's not the stuff that you know they'll get you you know on tv and get you loads of influence that's the stuff that's really painful that you got to walk through with people that's painful right and I didn't know what to do with it, but I saw the pastor of that church the next week, I think the next couple of weeks, um, and I went to him and I said, listen, this is what I sense and this is what I feel and this is what the Bible says about this. And he turned around and he said to me, you know, we just found out that that woman who was a leader in our church, she was having an affair. She was having an affair. And it's kind of crazy, right, that God would reveal something like that, that he would speak something like that out. And the reason Jesus speaks so strongly about it and that God actually does stuff uh, about this, that he moves prophetically in these ways sometimes, is because this area has the potential to create so much destruction in the heart of the church. Like it can destroy communities. It can destroy the the covenant relationship in the bride of Christ. When somebody's involved in having an affair or extramarital behavior, it's not just a personal choice. You need to understand this. It's not just for you. It's not just something that you decide, I want to do this because I need my needs met or you know, I've fallen in love with another person. It's not just that because actually what you do affects everybody around you. It affects the person you're doing it with. It affects your spouse or their spouse. It affects all the people around you. It affects the church. And if you know somebody or you are somebody or you know, have history and know this stuff, you'll know that the pain that this causes it's huge. It has wide-reaching implications, doesn't it? The pain is, is very deep and the pain is very wide. And it takes a long, long time for that to be healed. Sometimes never does if people never come back to Christ. And I want to speak, and you might not think I'm speaking openly and plaining, or you might think I am, but I'm going to go even further now, okay? 
I want to be really open just for a moment. And I hope that you understand this is not to be condemning. This is actually to call you into the life that Jesus is calling you into. If you're currently having an affair, just stop it. Just stop it. That's it. Just stop. Jesus said, you're on the path to destruction right now. Just stop it. Please stop it. Because if you continue down this path, it's a hard, it's, it's a long road back. It's a long road back. Just stop it right now. Finish it right now. And I want to tell you that there is mercy available. There is grace available. God will help you through this, but you have to stop it right now. Because not only is it going to affect you, it's going to affect this church. It's going to affect your church. It's going to affect your community. It's going to affect your family. It's going to affect everything. Jesus takes it really seriously. We're taking it really seriously. Please stop it. I think if Jesus was giving this message today and he said, you know, talking about looking at somebody with lust in your heart, um, I think if he was giving this message today, I think he would say, you know, what about looking at your phone with lust in your heart or looking at your computer with lust in your heart, right? Because pornography wasn't a big deal back at Jesus' time. It wasn't really a big issue. But today, it's a huge issue. It's a massive, it's an epidemic. We're, we're dealing with it everywhere. And the reality of it is there are many people in this church right now, many people in this room right now that are dealing with this. And I know already, because there have already been people that have come and said, I'm struggling with this. We're journeying that with people. But there are many people in this room who have yet to actually admit it that you're actually dealing with this and struggling with this. It's really important we speak about this. There's even studies coming out now from non-religious organizations that are saying this is something that we need to deal with. They're actually looking at the impact that it's having on their community. There's a website, uh, an organization called Fight the New Drug. And they're actually, they're non-religious uh, and they're non-legislative. They're just a charity that's set up to try and deal with stuff. Um, and they, I'll read a couple of things that they said. They said that porn stimulates the same areas of the brain as addictive drugs making the brain release the same chemicals. And just like drugs, porn triggers pathways in the brain that cause craving, leading users back for more and more extreme hits to get high. A couple other ones. A meta-analysis of 33 studies found that exposure to either non-violent or violent pornography increased behavioral aggression and actual violent assaults. The Department of Justice in the USA and the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children both recognize that pornography adds to sex trafficking. Among the effects of the use of pornography are an increased negative attitude towards women, decreased empathy for victims of sexual violence, and an increase in dominating and sexually imposing behavior. Listen, this is, this is what culture is saying about pornography, not even addressing what Jesus talks about. This is actually what our culture is speaking to us about. And the sobering reality is that many of us in the room are dealing with this stuff. And the most powerful weapon that pornography holds over us is shame. That's shame. It keeps it hidden and makes us afraid to talk about it. And I want to tell you, its power needs to be broken in your life. Its power has to be broken in your life. And the very first step in it is actually a really bold step. It's confessing it. It's saying, I'm dealing with this. This is stuff that's actually going on in my life. And begin the process. And Paul talks about it. Paul was the original cognitive behavioral therapist, wasn't he? He says, be, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That actually, there's a process that God can begin with us and he can begin to restore 
our mind. He can renew our mind. And we need to start that process today. The reason this is important and we're talking about it is because the enemy knows that if he can compromise your intimacy, he can destroy your relationship with God. He attacks our intimacy. We were created for intimacy with God. That's why he made us. He made us so that we would know God, that he would know us. We were created like that. We're created to worship. Like when we worship, like when we worship this morning together, there's something about when we enter into the presence of God, you're doing what you're made to do. This is what we're built for. We're built to worship, to, to love him, to honor him, to give him our affection, to give him our love. And he returns the favor. He pours out his presence and his love on us. That is the most beautiful thing. But if we have our intimacy compromised through lust and porn and uh, adultery and all those things, then what the, the devil's actually doing is he's compromising a relationship with God. Because we're violating the covenantal relationship and shame is stopping us from stepping into God. It's actually shame is stopping us from returning to God and saying, God, we're sorry. Like the story of the prodigal son. The son eventually turns around and says, maybe the father will make me a slave or a servant. And just about has enough courage, but he comes home carrying shame. And God actually comes to him as the father and he lifts the shame off him and he welcomes him back as a son. What a beautiful image of the mercy and the grace of God. And I want to say to you today, that is available to you. That the Father is waiting for you just to turn around to come back. And he wants to lift that shame off you. And I believe today that he's going to powerfully and beautifully set some people free. He's going to powerfully and beautifully do that. But there's going to take a moment of courage from you to actually say, you know what? I need to do it. I need to do that. And I'm coming into a close. Jesus sums up our covenantal relationship beautifully. In uh, Matthew 22, he says this. Matthew 22, verses 36. Somebody comes to him and says, Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your, sorry, I read that wrong. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. I mean, it's powerful. Jesus combines those commandments together. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, your soul, and your strength, right? And love your neighbor as yourself. And if we keep to those two terms of the covenant, if we keep to those two values of the covenant, God promises that he will be in our midst. He actually promises that he will be with us. Look at John 14, 21. We'll get on the screen too. This is Jesus during his last words before he gets arrested and he's going to be uh, crucified. He's speaking to his disciples and he says, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, important, keeps them, remember the covenantal, keeping it, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my father and I will love him and what's the next word? Manifest myself to him. Manifest myself to him. Now we can get all thrilled with this, right? We can get all, you know, oh, well, if we love one another, we'll see Jesus in everything, right? And that's good that we will. Or we'll see Jesus in creation. That's great, we will. And those things are really important when they inspire us to worship and recognize God at work. That those things are, are, are very important. But Jesus is literally saying here, if you love me, and you keep my commandments, I will manifest myself to you. 
<laughs> I'll show, just like he did with the Israelites when he was leading them out of captivity into freedom, he says, I will manifest myself to you. I will show myself to you. What an incredible promise from Jesus. That if you love me and follow my ways, then I'll come and I'll show you the glory. I don't know who wants that. Does anybody want that? You want to see the glory of Jesus, right? He's given us a very simple blueprint for that. Love me and keep my commandments. He says, the one who lives in covenantal relationship with me will see me. The one who sets themselves apart, having committed to listening to my voice and following me, those are the people that I will reveal myself to. And you know, I wanna say, I'm gonna close this now. I wanna say that we, um, as a church, have been experiencing some amazing breakthroughs from God. We've been seeing, seeing God do some incredible things amongst us. We've been seeing healings happen, and, uh, prophetic words flowing, uh, uh, providence, God's favor, lots of, lots of amazing things. But we've also begun to see things where God has been revealing himself quite physically to us. And we like to say signs and wonders and signs that make you wonder, right? Things that you just have no concept for, no idea how to explain, so we don't talk about it too much. But we have been seeing glimpses of the glory of God amongst us. And we're talking about these things today because God is looking for a covenantal people that he can rest his presence on. He's drawing near to us, but he's saying, listen, I want to draw near to you, but in order for me to draw near to you, I need you to consecrate yourselves before me. I need, and what that means is that a people who are setting themselves apart for God, for his presence, for his glory, says you are a chosen people. You are a holy people set apart to be the royal priesthood. I want you as my people. But in order for that to happen, in order to increase in presence and increase in his glory, we actually have to say in our hearts, you know what, God? Today, I'm choosing to follow you and you alone. I'm choosing for all that other stuff that is distractions that are causing my heart, my heart and my eyes to wander. I'm setting that stuff aside. And Jesus, when he's in the Beatitudes, he says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will what? See God. See God. Purity in the sense of pursuing him and him alone, but also purity in the sense of I'm consecrating myself before the Lord. And this morning the Lord's saying, listen, will you be my covenant people? Will you be the people on whom my presence dwells, my presence rests? Because that's available to us today. It's the great invitation. And what a beautiful invitation it is that we actually get to live in a greater covenant than even the covenant of Moses this relationship that we have access to the very presence of God that has been, to use a biblical term, ratified by the blood of Jesus. And we can do that. So I'm going to invite you to stand if that's okay. We're going to pray in just a moment. I know this morning, you picked a good morning to come as your first time. I know, I know this morning it wasn't so much inspirational as it was kind of a challenge and a bit of teaching around that. Uh, but I believe it's because there's a great invitation from God for us today. There's an invitation to more. And he's saying to us, there is more available. There is more. Uh, and so if you could close your eyes for a moment. probably been in two minds about what to do with this because it is a sensitive thing. Um, so I'm not going to make people put up their hands in response to this or come to the front. 
But what I do really need you to do today is I need you that if what I've spoken, spoken about today and any measure of what I've spoken has really sort of uh, made, you, <laughs> made your heart sort of thump at 140 BPM, that actually you need to respond to God in this. You need to decide today that God, I'm committing, recommitting to covenantal relationship. I'm going to take the step, whatever step that is, whether it's confessing what I'm dealing with, with the person close to me, whether it's my spouse or whether it's a trusted friend, whatever it is that you're doing and you need to confess it, you're making that commitment today that you're going to do it. And so Holy Spirit, I thank you that you don't just want us to get to heaven having survived earth, that you actually want us to thrive as your sons and your daughters. I thank you that there's an invitation to step into inheritance with you today. Father, I pray that we would, first of all, that you would reveal to us the blind spots in our life, like the stripe in the TV or the slavery mindset of the, of the Israelites. God, I pray that you just show us the bits that we are actually living with that we don't need to live with the stuff that we're holding and settling for that we don't need to settle and hold on to anymore, but we need to set it aside as we pursue you. Father, begin to reveal to us those things. Those of us, God, that, um, that we've not been entirely faithful in our marriage currently, God, I pray just give, give us the courage right now to make the right choice pursue you, to seek reconciliation, begin the journey of being restored. And Father, I pray just your grace over that whole thing, God, just for your grace and your presence to be filled in that whole thing. So Holy Spirit, we just break that hold right now. If, if that's somebody in the room, we just break that hold over their lives right now, just like a big hammer to a big chain, just breaking it in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, we break that hold right now. And I can't encourage you enough. Deal with that. Deal with that now. For the many in the room that are probably still dealing with the lust in their hearts issue, God, I pray. God, I pray for your heart. I pray for a divine transplant, God, that you actually give us your heart, that the honor of heaven would come and fill our hearts, that the joy and the love of heaven would fill our hearts, and that actually it would be the agape, the unconditional love of God would just overflow from us. And as we live in response to the love that you poured, poured out on us, God, that we would love others in the same love. So Father, we just invite your agape love to fill our hearts once again. And again, give us the courage to take the step that we need to take today to break the hold of that in our lives, to break shame and destroy the hold of shame over us. And Jesus, we welcome you. We say we want to be your covenant people. We want to be the people that carry your presence. We want to be the people that have the front row seat when revival hits the city. We want to be the people who stand at the pillar of fire as Jesus manifests himself to us as we love you and as we follow your commandments. That is what we want to be. We want to be your sons and daughters. So Father, come and have your way in us right now, but also tomorrow morning in our families, in our homes, in our workplace. Jesus, do it. 
do what only you can do. We ask in the mighty and powerful name above every other name that is the name of Jesus. Amen.